Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman, unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode of the Grow My Revenue Business Cast, I'm joined by the author of The Culture Blueprint, Robert Richman. Now, Robert, or Robbie as I call him, was the chief culture strategist at Zappos. In fact, ran the Zappos Insights program for Tony Shea and built it from an idea to a multi-million dollar business in and of itself. He's the foremost authority as a culture hacker on how to build culture in organizations. We're gonna discuss what is culture and why do companies struggle to establish their identity, the single greatest mistake leaders make in trying to address culture, and what are the symptoms that might indicate that your culture is in trouble and how do you fix it? So without further ado, put on your seatbelts and enjoy my interview with Robert Richman. So Robert, what, what did I leave out? What else should people know about you? <laughs> I think um, that I have that I have massively failed. <laughs> that <laughs> that uh, you know before before I went into Zappos, I um, I I started a fashion company and got so far down in the hole. I mean, I was I was like seventy thousand dollars under, and I call that my MBA because I think I learned so much more from all the things not to do than um, than than I could have learned from just reading business books. So, so that's so that's great. So, anybody wondering right now, so Robbie's going to show you how to not fail at this stuff. And I will apologize right up front because I know Robert originally met him as Robbie, and so for my life, it's the hardest thing for me. So I'll mess it up a few times. The beauty is whether you search for Robert Richmond or Robbie Richmond, it all takes you to the same place. Yeah. So now, obviously, we're going to talk about culture. You're well regarded as an expert in this space. People often think of culture as something intangible. How do you define culture for organizations so they can understand it? Yeah, the first thing I realized, especially through my Zappos experience, was that the the act of actually defining culture is very valuable. I'll start off with audiences and say, what is culture? And they'll say, it's the way we do things around here. It's what people aren't really talking about. It's the beliefs. It's the values. It's the language. It's the stories. It's I've heard 30, 40, 50 different answers, and they're all great. They're all right, and um, that's where the conversation really starts because culture does exist in language, and one of the best things you can do to start off shifting culture is to talk about what it is. And what I found, though, is there's something underneath it, which makes all of us culture experts. I really believe everybody is a culture expert because you can walk into a party, into an office, into a meeting, and within a few minutes, you just know. You just know, is this a fun group? Is this an innovative group? Is it creative? Are, is there tension in the room? Do they like each other? Do they not like each other? And you might not have all the words for it, but you get a feeling. And you get a feeling as to whether you want to work with these people, if you don't, if you want to get out of there. Um, what amazed me about being at Zappos was this one time a guy came in from New York, and he was he was really smiling and helping out a lot of people and doing things. And he said, I don't know what's happening here. I'm a really mean person in New York, but being here, I just want to be really nice. And that's <laughs> the power of a strong culture is it feels really good, and and, and and people tend to fall in alignment with that feeling. Okay, so so now I am concerned. This whole notion of 
you know, I don't know what to call it, but I know it if I saw it. Sounds like who is it? That congressman or senator who said something about pornography? <laughs> <laughs> so we're not we're not suggesting that culture is like pornography, right? <laughs> unless we are, unless unless that is your culture, and then go with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So why does culture matter for a company to thrive? Because obviously, when, every time we see a company that's wildly successful, people almost always point to, well, it's their culture. What is it about culture that makes those organizations thrive? You know, I think it, 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 it's it, it's funny. I was just watching the preview of the new Steve Jobs movie that's coming out. And there's a scene in there where Steve Wozniak says to Steve Jobs, he's like, he's like, you don't code, you don't program things, you're not a designer. Why are you the genius? You know, what, what do you do here? And he said, well, all these people play instruments. And he said, I play the orchestra. And he said that when, when people asked him what's his greatest invention, they were expecting the iPhone or the iPod. And he said, no, my greatest invention was Apple itself, the company itself, creating a culture that actually developed all these things. Because Waz was right to, to, to a certain degree is that um, he really required on all the genius around him. And he inspired them to do their best work and to do things that they thought were was impossible. And it was through his language, through seeing talent, through coordinating them through people. Um, Apple was really unique because it was a culture where people actually enjoyed yelling at each other. You couldn't get away with that at most places, but this was a culture where they did that because they worked well as a team. And it comes down to not having the best designer and the best database developer and all those. You, you put the best elements and it doesn't spit out an iPhone. It was that they developed a culture where just as one example, they had it aligned that we yell at each other. You know, that's part of what we do. That's part of our creative process. And because they were aligned as a culture that way, that's what got them connected. And I think what, what makes it so important is that it's what's invisible. It's the connections between parts. And it's why you can even see it in sports is that, you know, I, I was I was just watching recently, not too recently, but the, the NBA All-Star game. And it is just so boring to see all the All-Stars play with each other. They just look like they're, you know, phoning it in. Whereas if you see a team that isn't even all All-Stars, but it's like they can read each other's minds, it's mind-blowing to watch what they can come up with because culture is about the connections between people. Great. So that so it's it's those connections that get formed that create that trusting environment, if you will? Yeah, exactly. So it makes it so that people know it's okay to do what I'm about to do. I know that these other people have my back. We're all moving in the same direction. You know, I'm not going to get slapped because I'm doing something progressive because that's, that's the way we roll here. Right, right. I imagine you must see that a lot in sales then. Yeah, I mean, definitely. You, you see organizations where some the, the organizations that sit on top of people and want to know how many phone calls did you make and how many proposals did you send out, those people don't get it. The ones who say, wow, which of our clients are the best use of our time? Those organizations thrive because now everyone's trying to find that diamond in the rough, not just you know check a box that says, I did so many things. It yeah, and I'd, I'd be curious, you know, like a, a question I get around sales culture um, that I get a lot, I'd be curious to, to know what you think about it because people will ask me from a sales culture, they'll say, you know, we've got individual sales reps that, um, you know, are, are rewarded with compensation that's individual to them, but we want them to work as a team. 
And so then they go through that kind of soul-searching process of do we just take out compensation and just make everybody a team and we all have to win it together? But then if we do that, we might lose the you know the the star players who will go somewhere where they can make more. Like does that come up in in your work that it, conflict? It, it, you know what it absolutely it absolutely does. One of the one of the interesting angles for that is if you make it so that look, it's not about the individuals at all. It's about the team. For a lot of for a lot of personality types in sales, that won't work for them. If you say to them, look, here's your individual compensation, and what we're going to do with is if as a team, the team outperforms, then you get a kicker on top of that. Now what happens is the individual performer knows that they control their own destiny. They also know that if they help other people, that it works out well for everybody, yeah. And, you know, it's the whole, you know, the rising tide, um, carries yeah. all, you know, rises all ships or whatever it is. It probably is. It's not that exact thing, but it's close enough. People know where we're going. Right. And 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 so that that notion sometimes will work. I, it's it takes a strong culture for an organization to say, look, it's not about individuals. It's about the whole team. And I believe it would be challenging if people were used to compensation one way to all of a sudden shift to a totally different model where it wasn't individualized at all. You might be able to start a business that way, but it would be challenging to uh, to take one that was already there. Let, let me let me ask you this, Robbie. Yeah, I, I'm sure you see companies with the best of intentions try to affect culture in their organization and fail. What what what's the biggest mistakes that you see businesses make with respect to you know trying to work on their culture? Sure. The the biggest mistake and and it took me years to see this and a lot of messing up to see this. Um, and a lot of watching other leaders mess up to see it. It's just a very simple concept which is that when you tell people what to do, uh, they don't want to do it, and I, I it, it blew my mind, especially when I saw this when the when the group wanted a particular change, and they said, "Okay, we're going to do this." But the group wasn't involved in the decision; they weren't involved in the how and the rollout and the timing and all these little decisions that went into it. That they rejected it, and time and time again, I've seen it where what happens is a leader will will they usually want a culture change for a particular purpose, like they'll want either higher performance or they'll want to be a faster moving organization or they'll want to be more innovative. And then they get the idea that if I do X, I'll achieve that. You know, if I load in Six Sigma or this program or this new way of doing something or, you know, even even with my book, I, in the revised edition, the, the 1.5, I said, look, do not make people read my book. It's a really bad idea. Like, let people opt in, those who want to read it. If you make them do it, it'll get resentment. And so they'll 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 do something like, even if they want more happiness, and they'll say, you know, read Rob's book, if and and we're going to be a happier company. But they tend to check out. Whereas the the so telling them to do something, mandating a program, I've uh, it, I've never seen it go well. Whereas when they when they just say, okay, hey, we want to be high performance or we want to have a great culture. What do you guys think? What should we do? And, you know, maybe one of those things you enter in there is say, hey, I, I heard about this guy, uh, Robert Richmond, his book, The Culture Blueprint. Why don't we check this out? You can even insert that idea. But there has to be that openness that maybe it's not the right idea. Maybe the team has a better idea. Maybe they know something different. If they're not involved in co-creating that, they're going to check out. Now, in fairness, having read the book, 
I think it's a pretty darn good idea for people to read it. <laughs> but what you're saying is, look, don't say, hey, read Culture Blueprint by Robert Richmond. You have to do it right now. Instead, it's, look, I know we want to get there. Here's one resource. And maybe you even take that department or that someone in the organization and say, look, this seems like it might be helpful. Does anyone want to check it out and see if it's worth the organization all climbing on board to read this? And then someone on the team does it instead of it being imposed from above that they have to do. I, I, love, that, I love that you share the term opt-in um, because it's something that I think we can all relate to when it comes to email marketing or any other messaging. When it gets forced at us, we want to deflect it. Right, even if we like it. Yeah. Even if we like it, like like if I if I know you know your 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 favorite meal is steak, and I say Ian go go get steak today, like you're like what I'll get whatever I want. Why are you telling me to get this? Yeah, just it doesn't matter. Even if you like it, even if you assume the person's going to like it, and you have great intentions, it still doesn't matter. Uh, that's that's great. Now I'm sure there's a lot of people thinking to themselves, well, so how do I know whether or not I've got a culture issue going on? So what are the symptoms that a business might notice? that would indicate that they might have a culture issue? You know, that's a great question. The, 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 the one that I've seen that gives me the most flags is when I see a really quiet culture. Like, I've seen it at conferences. I've seen it when I walk into a room with the team. If they are quiet, I'm like, uh-oh, there's big problems here. Yeah. And, and why, do you, why do you think that is when they're quiet? few things can be going on. One is that they're afraid to rock the boat. And if there's fear, that's a troublesome culture. The other is they've got a good thing going on in the sense of the status quo supports them. And any kind of change, like I went in with this one department and they were just really quiet and they didn't want to make any changes, you know, because they kind of had a good life. And, um, they didn't want anything to disrupt that. But because of that, you don't – the best teams want to disrupt themselves because they want to grow. They want to learn. They want to try new projects, whereas the cultures that are um, really going to be mediocre and stagnant just want to do the same thing day in, day out and don't want to to shift that. So I actually think a, a culture where there's a lot of arguments – is actually a very potentially strong culture. I really like going in with with teams that can be really contentious and have a lot of frustrations because there's a lot of passion and energy and you just need to convert it and align it. Whereas if a team is quiet and there's no passion and energy, you can't move them. That's that's great. I remember in in my prior business, we, we were an information technology related uh, company and the people we hired, we never told someone how to solve something. We just said, Here's the challenge the client's facing. Here's the result they're looking for. You figure it out. And so we attracted people who really thrive in that environment. I remember we had an employee once who would come in each day and say, well, what specifically should I do? And the team leader would say, oh, you, we just need to write something that does this. And she would say, well, how specifically should I write it? He'd say, well, you can write it however you want. And if you think about it from a cultural from a culture standpoint, she hated working there because she wanted someone to tell her exactly what to do and she would go do it. And we had a culture that was all about you figure it out. There's no right or wrong way to do it. And yeah. she and, and this individual ended up where she came to us and said, you know, I just want someone to direct us better. And we said, look, why don't you work here and over the next several months, you're doing a fine job here, but this isn't the right fit. Why don't you find a place that is a great fit for you, probably 
maybe like a government contractor. And she ended up working for some government contractor and was really successful there because they would tell her exactly what they wanted her to do, and she would just do that. She didn't want that creativity. And so sometimes I think that in organizations, people think that it's it's about people have to do it you know, a certain way, and it, it probably is more dependent upon what culture you have in the organization, which direction people are going to want to go. Totally, and that's why I don't like to call cultures good or bad. There's either strong culture, which is all in alignment of people doing what they say and everything being in alignment with that, or, or weak um, cultures that, that are not. Because, you know, like, you don't, you don't want your toll booth operator to be creative. Yeah. You just don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, hey, you know what? There's a little bit of dirt on that back wheel. I'm going to charge you extra. <laughs> <laughs> so now, if, if someone has a weak culture, and, and I know you talk about this in detail in Culture Blueprint, but what are the steps that they can take to get things on track and to strengthen their culture? Yeah, I, the, the the first stage to me is it's it's always about getting real and getting honest and and getting a fair assessment of of where you're at. Without that, um, you know, it's it it it's the equivalent of of building a building without clearing the foundation and sweeping and really just getting a clean foundation to build upon. Um, so what I recommend people do is is to first. Um, is to first really just be curious and learn as opposed to, oh, we need a culture that's so happy and creative and innovative and this. Just, whoa, 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 there's plenty of time for that. Don't be in a rush. Being in a rush is also a bad sign. I found that leaders who are in a rush tend to stress out their teams and their staffs, and then they they go against what they're really trying to create. So the first step is really learning and being curious and understanding and having conversations with people, conversations that start with what is culture and what do you think the culture is around here and what do you think would be better and what do you think frustrates you and and, and what's the thing you'd be afraid to talk about here and afraid to change. And whether whether you're the CEO or just somebody in the, in, in the company who's interested in culture, change. Um, the, the, it, it's really critical, I find, to just first be curious and, and learn and understand where the opportunities are. Because what I've found time and time again is this concept of culture change as medication, meaning um, I really learned it in this call where a woman was a CEO and she said, you know, I want, I want to have a really exciting culture, a really dynamic culture, and we got to make this fun and exciting. And I said, okay, great. I respect that. And I said, tell me this, how, how exciting is your own personal life? And she goes, Ooh, it's like really dull. And I said, okay, so you're using culture change to get what you want for your life. And because you're doing that, it's really going to have a negative effect on the culture because you're, you're trying to get something out of it as opposed to bringing something to it. And our first step with that was I said, look, you're going to make a list of things that are exciting for you to do on the weekend, and you're going to start doing them. Because if you're going to have an exciting life and bring that excitement to the culture, it's going to thrive as opposed to using the culture as medication for your life. That's great. That's, that's, a, that's a great way to see it. And I'm sure for a lot of people, they, they come in and say, you know, I'm really not enjoying coming into work. Maybe if we improve the culture. And and, and I look back at, at one of my businesses, I remember having somebody who – we, we had an admin person who I just didn't get along with. And here I was, the CEO, and I wouldn't come into the office because I didn't want to deal with them. And I remember I came in one day and I said to uh, I, I said to my COO, I said, look, we need to address this issue because I'm not coming into the office because <laughs> I don't want to deal with this person. And I don't think that's good for our business. Right. And it was just that sort of thing where everyone had this like really upbeat, fun 
persona and we had one individual not so much and it made it so I didn't want to come into the office. And and then all of a sudden I just saw this and I didn't know what it was. I didn't, we didn't call it culture then. I just knew, <laughs> wow, it's not as fun being in the office anymore. And there was that one, you know, piece of one one drop of poison in the well that was really disabling everything else. That's a great I never thought of that analogy. That's a great analogy because it seems like it's a drop, but it, that's all it takes to contaminate the water and then you really don't want to drink the water. Yeah, it's that it's that it's that damp cloth on the fire. It's just, you know, that that wet blanket that people throw over that says, "Okay, yeah, you're you're not allowed to have fun anymore." Yeah. And and it just, you know, that that kind of stuff just drives me nuts. So right. so I'm I'm sure you get into organizations where they say, "Wow, this is all great and yeah, we really are committed to this thing, but but then they give you a list of excuses and they tell you, "Here are the here are the reasons why we can't embrace these concepts, Robert." I mean, I know it's all good and well and I read the book and I, but but gee, we just can't embrace this because of fill in the blanks. What are the top excuses? that you hear from executives why they can't do this. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, it was great. It was amazing to hear that at Zappos because we would hear the full range, being like some companies would say, oh, you're so big, you're Zappos, you can do that. And then Procter & Gamble would come in and say, oh, you're, you're so small, you can do that. Or you have money. Um, so we heard a lot of them at Zappos. And then people will have their own. They'll say, I'm, I'm not the CEO, or um, I just don't have enough power, I don't have enough time. And I, I had enough of these conversations, and I started to see who makes changes and who don't. And I saw there are only really two conversations around culture. There's a conversation of um, of limitations and why I can't. And then there's a conversation of possibilities and, and what I can do. And those are the two. And so I, what I do is I make people aware of that. And I say, look, I'm not making it wrong to have a conversation about limitations. It's actually a good thing to, to it's it's like throwing up when you're drunk, you know, get all that toxins <laughs> out of there. Tell me all the reasons why you can't. Tell me, okay, any more and I'll write them on the board. I'll be like, okay, what else? Tell me why you can't. Tell me why. More, more, more. Anything anything else and then when they're done, that conversation's over. And then you either want to go into a conversation about what's possible or you don't, but when I put those two things on the wall and, and show them and say, we're going to have these two conversations, after you get all those limitations out, you just start to realize, oh, like I can either let these go or stay in it, or I can talk about what I can do. It's such a great lesson for people to see that there's, there's an organization that I work with that is just really talented, great organization, historically has done all their work on a time materials basis, meaning they're trading hours for dollars. And we're trying to shift them into doing things on a fixed price basis. And of course, this makes them uncomfortable because it introduces a level of uncertainty. And they said, well, we can't do it because there's too many unknowns. I said, really? Wow, there's got to be a lot of them. Can we make a list of them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's too many. And I said, okay, let's list them all out. And we got to five. I said, what else? Well, I'm sure there's more. I said, well, <laughs> you know, okay, which ones are these? Well, that's pretty much them. I said, okay, do you think we could describe these in a way that the customer would understand that these aren't included? And and there's just that reluctance of, yeah, but instead of, wow, you know what? I wonder what would happen if we embraced that and none of our competitors are doing it this way. I wonder how it would change our efficiencies. Yeah, I love your style of how you do that too because I think you you do that in a way where you're not really you're not really judging them or making them wrong. Like you're just saying, "Oh, okay, if that's how it is, let's let's keep going with that" as opposed to trying to convince them or change them. 
Well, by the way, that's very kind of you to say that. I think I'm actually judging them, but <laughs> 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 but but I try and do it with a nice way. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So so last last couple of questions I have for you. What's the greatest lesson that you ever learned from a business challenge that you experienced? And obviously, you started off by saying there's a lot of areas you failed, but what what's the single greatest lesson that you ever learned? You know, I the greatest one I learned is that if if I approach something and my answer is I don't know how to do that, I'm right, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. So what I found, especially going through the culture changes, people would come in and they'd say, I'm not the person qualified to do this, or I don't know how to do this. And I would say, you know, you're right. You're not, you are not qualified to do this work. And they'd say, what you're like, you're a coach. Like you're supposed to tell me how great I am and how I can do this. And I'm like, no, you, 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 you don't know how, but the process of doing it makes you the one to do it. And I realized that if anything that I take on, if I know how to do it already, then I'm already over it. I want to do something else. So being qualified to do something is not the same thing as being the same, the person to do it. And so when I've taken on a new, whether it be a new project or a new speech or a new company or anything, when that thought comes in, like I'm, I don't know how to do this or I'm not the person to, I'm right. And doing it makes me the person to do it. And that's why I think there's so much um, hope for anything that people want to do around business and culture. And, and, and I think that you proved that with Zappos Insights. It's not like you had built and run an organization like that in the past. No. And had any experience related to that other than losing money in an apparel business, <laughs> which I guess would uniquely qualify you for that. But, but, I mean, clearly you demonstrated great success there by saying, yeah, I don't know how to do this, so I'm going to figure it out. And it probably makes you a little bit more deliberate than you would be otherwise. Yeah, and the big lesson through that one was that I'm that I'm seeing everywhere, this would probably be a second one, is that um, experience trumps everything. Like, Because I got hired in there to develop a content website to sell Zappos information on culture. And we threw an event and then videotaped it. And I said, how was the content to people? And they were like, oh, it was okay. And I was like, it's just okay. Like I bet my entire life on this. And they said, no, no, no. But the experience of being here blew our minds. Like we didn't think this was possible till we experienced it. And that's when I started <laughs> to see everything through the lens of experience. It's just, you know, the take any kind of product, a Tesla, Apple, everything. It came down to not the feature set, but the experience of going through it. That's that's great insight. So if you had one piece of advice to share with our listeners, and presumably it's going to have something to do with culture, what mm -hmm. would it be? It would be to um, it would be to seek to seek explicit agreement. I know that sounds a little weird. I'll explain it. This this idea, and it, it gets back into the idea of the opt in, which is that. The, the way I learned this is through an example of restaurants where you go into a restaurant and you, you make a reservation or do it by the phone and they say, thank you, um, uh, Mr. Thompson, we've got you down for four at 730. Call us if anything changes. And what, what that person did was essentially set a demand, call us if anything changes. And people don't call back. They just don't call back and say, oh, we're not going to take the table. And so the restaurants lose money. But when the restaurants hack that process, because all culture exists in language, and if you can hack the language, you can hack the culture. So they changed it to, thank you, Mr. Thompson. We have you down for uh, four at 730. Would you please call us if anything changes? 
and then they pause and then the person says yes. Yeah, sure, then, I will. And then when something changes, they've now bought in. Now they've bought in, they've agreed, they've given their explicit agreement, and then it shoots up by 80% the likelihood that they will actually call back and tell you because they opted in and it was their choice. And what I see in culture happening consistently wrong, whether it be mandating a whole program or even me just telling you, hey, go do this, is that we think we have agreement and assume agreement when it's not actually there. But if we can actually open up space for people to opt in, for them to even opt out and say, no, I can't do this, I'm doing something else, or the opportunity to say, no, I don't really know how, or no, I need help, and really give the people the power of choice, that's when culture gets strengthened. And this is everything from taking a job to taking a project to launching a new initiative. Thanks so much for sharing your wisdom and guidance with everybody today. What's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Sure. Uh, it's www.robertrichman.com. That has um, links to everything that I'm up to. If, if you don't already have a copy of Culture Blueprint, um, I guess Robert would say we shouldn't tell you you have to do it. <laughs> but if you think that perhaps maybe you'd like a better or stronger rather culture – then I highly recommend the book. It's, it's an enjoyable, good read with so many actionable pieces in it. Um, there's, I mean, there's several people that, that I know that this is one of their favorite books on culture. So uh, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, and and um, you know, I just want to say with that too that it since you're probably an audio person listening to this as a, as a podcast, um, it comes with a free audio book, and you have license in there to give that audio book to your entire team or entire company. Um, so that that comes with the book as well. That's a brilliant thing I'm taking. I'm making notes of right now. Nice. <laughs> all right. And, we'll, of course, we'll share all this in the show notes. Robert, thanks again for joining us. My pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. You're not going to get much better information about culture than from Robert Richmond. And let me give you a quick 30-second recap of what I feel are the most impactful things that you can apply to your business. First, if you've got a quiet organization, if people feel like they kind of have to lurk around, that may be an indicator that you have a problem. You can't mandate culture. In fact, defining culture, Robert points out, is part of the culture in and of itself. And finally, you can think of the world as either filled with limitations or opportunities. So when you run into those struggles, embrace those and that'll help define your culture. Remember that this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If you know someone I should have as a guest on the show, or if you have a topic that you'd like for me to cover, please let me know. Send me an email personally at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at GrowMyRevenue.